On this episode of Connected, Dave Danto speaks with Crustron's Dan Jackson about how AV is the core of IoT. All this on Connected. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Connected, Episode 7, The AV of IoT, recorded July 12th, 2016. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Connected Everything IoT. This is the show about the Internet of Things, brought to you by AV Nation TV and the IMCCA. I'm David Danto with Dimension Data, um, and I have as my special guest for this show, um, Dan Jackson, who's uh, with Crestron, and I'm going to let him introduce himself. Dan, why don't you tell us uh, what your role is at Crestron and how long you've been there? Hi, uh, I'm Dan. I, uh, I am a manager of research and development for Crestron, um, which is my role is probably slightly different than what you might think of when you hear research and development. I mean, you might think of, you know, guys in lab coats walking around. Um, my role is more of a technology and market visionary, and, and my group is responsible for a lot of the, the revolutionary new items that come out of Crestron. And uh, I've been here uh, 10 and a half years at this point. I actually, uh, before Crestron, was out in the field as a, as a Crestron programmer, what used to be called CAPE, uh, now CSP. So I came from the field uh, back to the mothership. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Now, now I've had a lot of conversations on my Connected show about the Internet of Things at a very high level, esoteric, in the cloud, what we're doing, what devices might be, what they could be. But Crestron is a great example of a company that's been established in the AV and collaboration industry for years and years and years. And, and, and you're in the market right now. And my hope is that you'll be able to take your concept of the Internet of Things and, and make it something that people can actually hold on to, you know, something that, that our users and our integrators can say, wow, this is really coming now. So before we get into that, what's your definition of the Internet of Things? Well, so it's kind of funny. The, the Internet of Things is, is this buzzword that has been attached to a lot of items. But, you know, in the AV industry, you know, I like to say we've been effectively doing the Internet of Things for uh, about 20 years at this point. Um, in fact, due to some uh, patent litigation we were involved with, we had to go dig up the first network connected installation, remote monitoring thing that we had done. And it was at the University of Wisconsin. I think it was 1990, it was 96 or 97. So we're coming up on 20 years now where Crestron is effectively doing Internet of Things type items where we're monitoring local systems and reporting it back to a centralized server and sending out alerts when things happen. You know, we didn't. That would, call that would be the room view type system, right? Where you were connected yeah. to all the devices and all the devices are the things and they're communicating back when they need a lamp change or a battery change or when they have any faults or anything like that. That would be the first example, really, of the Internet of Things, right? Exactly. And that was that was 20 years ago now. You know, we, we didn't call it that. We just call it AV monitoring and management, which, you know, didn't sound as sexy, but, it, you know, it, that's effectively what it was. Um, and so the AV industry is actually in a great position because I think we've been we've been doing or at least capable of doing a lot of the Internet of Things type things for you know going on 20 years now. And the AV industry is also really set up well because we actually already have devices in all of these locations that you know where you have things, right? The biggest problem that a lot of these internet providers have is they have the internet, they don't have the physical things in place. The AV industry is already has these things. We just have to be able to connect them up to the internet appropriately. 
It's a very interesting and unique way of looking at it, and honestly, nothing, a way that I haven't looked at it until we had this conversation today, in that if you look at the AV components in an integrated room or in an integrated building or multiple components in a building as things, um, that's exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about connections and sensors um, and bringing them back to a central server and then taking action based on that. I'm assuming the actions up to this or, or up to recently have been more just reporting, right? We found XYZ needs a lamp change or we found XYZ is overheating. There hasn't been any if then then that in the industry up until recently, correct? Yeah, typically that, you know, this sort of logic-based programming has always been down at the control system or at the room level. You know, if somebody presses a button, go do A, B, and C, and D, and then just send, you know, reports, sort of, you know, live information, but no real interaction up to the uh, the centralized controller. Um, but I think that's changing. And, you know, we see a lot more people actually, um, you know, re pushing remote control up towards the, center, the central controller. So not only can you you know, monitor if a room's online and offline, if displays on off, if something's broken, but you can actually reach in remotely and use. You know, we we have a piece of software we call XPanel, where you can actually through a web browser control the system. You can get an alert and then take action on that alert remotely uh, via the XPanel system. Okay, that's great. And before we leave the topic of RoomView, which was renamed Fusion, and by the way, one of the running jokes in the industry is there just aren't enough things in our industry named Fusion. We need at least, a, you know, there, there, there have got to be at least 10 things, 10 products and services named Fusion. So uh, maybe get another name out of there but or, or make everybody else do it. But before we leave that topic, I understand that, that it's fundamentally kind of changed from a product to a service, which goes in line with what's going on in the industry. At least it can change that way. Can you give us a little bit of background and detail on that? Yeah, so we, you know, Fusion, the, the product is being updated, but but the product changes aren't aren't massive. There there are sort of uh, evolutionary changes. The the biggest change that you'll see in the product uh, is the fact that we've moved it to the cloud as well. We we have a single tenant cloud uh, infrastructure, so you can actually buy Fusion now on a, on a monthly license instead of just buying it as an on upfront cost and deploying it on premises. So there's a different way to actually go out and deploy it. But the biggest change has actually been in the way that we actually um, uh, sort of project manage and walk the installation through all the various steps. Um, and the reason that we, we've gotten more involved with Fusion and it's sort of taking greater control of it was, you know, Fusion has always been this incredibly powerful piece of software for Crestron. And the problem was because it's so flexible, you really had to think about and know what you wanted to do with it. And if you didn't, of course, nothing got done with it, right? So we, we've had a, a number of customers that have bought Fusion, have even set up Fusion, but because they couldn't or didn't think through all of the use cases and all of the things they wanted up front, you know, it didn't do a whole lot for them. They're, the customers that had thought through it all had have just done incredible things with Fusion, um, but we wanted to make sure everybody was able to get that Fusion power. So what we did was we created standardized modules that get deployed on the control system and report data up to Fusion in a standardized format. Um, when, when you buy Fusion nowadays, we will actually verify that those modules are put in place will verify that they report data accurately so that when you actually go to deploy Fusion, you're guaranteed to be getting the correct, accurate data out of the system. And I guess that's an interesting point we were talking about a little bit before we started recording, that none of these Internet of Things devices, um, sensors, are going to give back useful data if the data isn't in a standard format. 
So if, you know, if I buy thermostat from company A and it's on the internet and I buy thermostat from company B and it's on the internet and they're not communicating the same language, the system they're talking to to take action um, isn't going to know what to do if it gets the commands from one and it's looking just for the commands from the other. So either we have to have these central systems so smart that they can speak every language that's out there, or we're going to have to start having, you know, IoT thermostats, cars, whatever, all speak the same language. Um, and in our sense of the world, you know, uh, AV devices, collaboration devices, systems, you know, with the sensors have that data be in a standardized format so that it works correctly from site to site and country to country. I mean, is that fair in terms of understanding how the system goes? Right. I mean, you know, without without knowing the data format, you have nothing, right? And so a lot of even on the consumer side, everybody out there, you know, sort of so moving away from the AV industry, even the consumer industry, everybody's trying to sort of create their own ecosystem to have a standardized data format. If you look at what Google is doing with Nest, they have these protocols called Thread and Weave that they're trying to get people to adopt so that they have their standard. Of course, Apple has HomeKit and, and other kits that are their IoT standard. Um, so all these different people are trying to create their own standards and we're seeing sort of a, a standards war, if you will, in the IoT world, because you, ha you have to have a standard and we're, we're sort of in that process of figuring out which one is, which one is correct. Are we further away than the general consumer industry in AV or are we closer or is it the same? I mean, how do you track what we do here? Because again, I'm trying to make this relevant for you know, the AV integration, AV user community. So, you know, we found that, that Look, I mean, even without Crestron taking control, um, even though it was our own products, it was very difficult to get standardized data out of it. So we, we've sort of had to go almost, you know, to take over more control of it only because that we found that that's really the only way to guarantee you're getting the appropriate data out of the devices. And if you actually think way back, you know, even 10, 15 years, you know, why did Crestron get out of, or not get out of control systems and touch panels, but but take a business that was just control systems and touch panels and expand that into to mixers, into amplifiers, into AV equipment, into all these other bits and pieces. It's because instead of having to, to configure, you know, RS-232 and worry about all of the different protocols and all the different weird esoteric ways devices react, what if we just created a standard data format, which, you know, was CrestNet at first, and then became, you know, Crestnet over over Ethernet or CIP. Um, we we have started with this standardization and found it to be incredibly powerful because it makes things simple to actually go out and deploy. Okay, but before we move on to other IoT devices, I would like to get your opinion around um, something that I've been talking about considerably at trade shows and, and on this show around the concept of security. Um, one of the issues that we have because of the non-standardization of all the components and component manufacturers is a, 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 essentially you know, a wide open sponge for malware in a lot of the AV rooms. Um, I know at Crestron you take security very seriously and, you're and, and you look at that, um, as do some of your competitors, perhaps more successfully or less successfully. I won't get into that debate. Um, but, but, but when you're talking to a, a, a third brand mixer and a you know, third brand DSP and a third brand display or projector and a third, you know, all these other devices in an integrated room and they're not all on the same schedule as you are and they're using different platforms and maybe they're using updated SSL and maybe they're not and maybe their passwords are appropriate and maybe they're not. This is going to explode on the industry and I just would love to get your take on that situation uh, until the manufacturers all hit some sort of protocol as, as 
IT organizations have around, you know, network attached devices, that here's your standard patching and here's where you get the patches and here's where you do change control. Um, I think it's going to be the Wild West out there for a long time. Do you have any insight on that or what you see the other manufacturers doing in the space to try and bring it into something that's more, you know, an IT standard around network attached devices? You know, I see I see a lot of people actually almost going the other way. I see a lot of people actually just, you know, sort of saying, well, you know, we don't have the core competency to do things, so they're going to go out and 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 buy a, a piece of equipment or a piece of software from some other country, and it doesn't really matter. Hey, look, it'll it'll encode AV or do something else, but it doesn't have all the security bits. So, you know, there's a lot there's a good number of people that I think are kind of just sticking their head in the sand. There are a few people, of course, that are doing the right thing and increasing network security. Um, but I think that the, I agree that this tidal wave of security is coming because I think the AV industry as a whole has really managed to escape and, or just ignore a lot of these incremental security improvements that have happened over the last 10, 15 years because all the other devices that were on the, you know, on the corporate network had to keep improving over time. We kind of got a free pass by just saying, oh, we'll be air-gapped or we'll be on the AV VLAN. So you don't have to care. We don't need any security, right? Um, whether or not the devices had it, people weren't really implementing it or thinking about it. So the AV industry as a whole got a pass. And now over the last couple of years, we're having to play catch up in a, in a pretty uh, intense way because there's 10 years of security improvements that we now have to go back and, and put in place. And luckily, you know, we, we had kind of uh, been putting in security uh, for the last 10 years over time. So we, we haven't been, you know, completely separate. We've been actually been making these incremental improvements, so it wasn't as, as tough for us to catch up. Um, but I agree that the AV industry as a whole, you know, putting in these various different devices is going to be a problem. We, we've been able to, I think, mitigate some of those things with products like the CP3N and the Pro3, which actually have a, a hardened router built right into the device. So you can kind of have a frontline control system that has all of your you know, appropriate security measures, your 8021X, your password integration, um, all those bits, um, and shield those other devices sort of, yes, they're running on Ethernet, but they're not on the corporate network. So you, you can, in some ways, you know, depending on how the IT department considers it, get a pass on some of those devices, but that's only going to buy some time until people look and say, every single thing anywhere has to have these security bits. Um, yeah, because it's either, it's either a, um, a, a gap or, or as I said, it's just a, a dark, spongy corner where the malware will sit until something gets infected from it. So there really aren't any, uh, you know, exemptions from that. And, and I guess the thing that really, you know, um, uh, bit at me uh, with some of the industry news that happened a few months ago around another control system manufacturer was not that there was some sort of questionable programming in that. That, you know, we could all, you know, say, oops, sorry, yeah, that was old, we made mistakes. It was that they came back and said, oh, don't worry about it, that was fixed in a patch. And I'm sitting here as an AV professional looking, when was the last time anybody that put in an integrated stage system went back and patched the AV system? What we do as an industry is say, it's working, don't touch it. You know, don't even blow the dust off of it. I don't want to go near it. Um, that's the attitude that's going to have to change. We're going to have to go back and look and have the integrators get step up and say, look, the, the, these are the systems that we have. They're computers. Whether we say they are or not, they are. They're on the internet. Whether they're air-gapped or not, they are. Um, and here's going to be how we maintain it. Not come in quarterly and, you know, dust it off and make sure the settings are right, but, you know, make sure it's patched. Make 
make sure that you know any vulnerabilities have been closed make sure the passwords have been updated and just as an industry I, it, it seems like such a mountain we're going to have to climb to get there but i don't see another choice right i mean you you effectively have to get there right either we will get there or somebody else will get there and that will be the person that gets the business so you know i think i think that the smart people the smart people really are on top of it and they are getting there we see we have a huge number of, of CSPs and integrators that are out there actually doing the right thing and building these systems that are that are architected appropriately, that aren't incredibly fragile. You know, they actually, you know, will prove them all out ahead of time. It's a single piece of code that's updated and managed. Um, and I think others will, will have to follow their lead. You know, uh, you know, the, those we've seen uh, some of those uh, integrators and programmers be incredibly successful with those models. So I think others will, will slowly see it and shift over that path, or they won't. Okay, well, I'll get off the security soapbox there for a second, although I had to visit it at least once in this episode. And why don't we talk about some of the, the future trends? I don't want you to reveal anything um, that Crestron's working on that isn't public, but I'm sure there are a lot of technologies that you have available now that a lot of uh, people in the industry don't realize are, are already IoT technologies, like your room beacons and some of the other things. Why don't you give us a rundown of uh, top of mind what, what, what you're out, what's out there now that we could actually use and make use of? So the beacons is probably the, the most interesting thing out there because I think I think it really enables a new way to use these systems that that is only now coming to fruition. So um, uh, Crestron, we we have their uh, they're called pinpoint beacons, and what they are are Bluetooth beacons um, that just emit a an identifier over Bluetooth. And so when a phone or a laptop or some other Bluetooth device comes nearby, it will actually read that identifier and know where it's located. Um, the reason that's important is because now all of a sudden, you know, somebody is able to walk into a room, you know, with their device, whether it's a laptop or a phone, you know, see which beacon is there and make a quick determination of which room they're in. And, um, you know, that enables you to actually do real control from a user device, right? It used to be that you had to have a touchscreen, um, in the room and, you know, that was the only way to control the system and not that touchscreens are bad, but People want to control things in different ways. You know, my personal device that I bring with me has an incredible amount of information uh, about the things that I do. It's got my calendar on it. It has my contacts on it. Um, imagine a world where I can walk into a room and instead of having to mess with anything, I just click a button and now I'm automatically presenting onto the screen. Or I click a button and it will dial any of my contacts or join my call that's on my calendar at that time. You know, whether it's a phone, it's a tablet or a laptop. And so it creates this really seamless integration of how I use my devices in my personal space at my home or my desktop uh, to, to the room. And that seamless integration creates consistency that I really think drives a lot of adoption, right? A lot of people will typically walk into a very conference, you know, very complex conference room and sort of be hands off because I don't know this system. It feels different. It works a little bit different. Even if the UI is crafted and really nice, it's different from what I what I have other places. But if I have an interface and a way of working with things that is very seamless to the way I work outside of a room and the way I work all the time, all of a sudden um, I'm much more likely to use the system and much more likely to, to, to enjoy it. So I can, in a sense, take my, my smartphone 
and set up the control system for my rooms or my meetings the way I want it to be, personalized for my phone, and have that be my interface no matter what room I walk into. So I don't have to learn a new system if I'm traveling overseas. We always used to, as corporate AV managers, we always used to say, though, the consistency of the touch panel has to be the same no matter what room I go into. But if the touch panel is just my smartphone and it's communicating with the room because it knows what room it is, all of a sudden now I've got a system that I can use that's universal to my smart device. Is that future or is that today? That's today. I will say today and over the next 12 months becoming almost everything, not everything that we do, but we'll be across all the different platforms. You know, we have, we have pinpoint for, for iOS today. Android will be out in a couple months. Pinpoint for PC will follow that. So all of a sudden, no matter what device I have, I walk into a room and I can control that room in all the ways that you talked about. So, so in theory, if I'm a guy that likes to have one button to push, I want to start a meeting, I can set up my smart device so that no matter whatever system I'm in, it reads my calendar, it knows my next meeting, it now knows what room it's in, and I can hit that one button to push and go. But if I'm the kind of guy that likes to have the lighting controls or the shade controls, or I want to adjust you know, the front of the room, make sure that the, the light in the, on the, by the screen is not too bright or too dark, I can use that interface, and, and we can be two different users um, using the same room at different times with different interfaces that are personalized to us. Absolutely. All right. And, and the beauty of this too is, to, you know, to go to the Internet of Things type concept, um, we now know who's locking into what rooms and doing what things. You start to have a better knowledge of who's using the system, how and why, which then allows you to understand how your rooms are used, why they're used a certain way, and optimize even, even the way the rooms are designed and the way the rooms are built in the future. And, and help me understand, again, because this is the hard part for everybody, I want to put my hands on each piece of that puzzle so that I understand what it is. The, it starts with the beacon, which is essentially just a Bluetooth identifier. It can be as simple as something that plugs into a wall socket or it can be embedded in an AV system in a room, correct? Right. All right, so then we have that. We have our AV system in the room, which, you know, in, in, you know, in your perfect world, it's all Crestron components based on DM and everything else that you do, but it could be anything else based on a control system um, that has an operating schema, and yeah. that's put in by an AV integrator. What yes. gets installed on my smart device? So the way Pinpoint works is um, it's an app that's on your smart device. So it's, a, it's an app you can go download from the App Store today. Um, they, the app will actually read the Bluetooth beacon when it goes into the room, but it doesn't actually communicate back and forth with the Bluetooth beacon. So there's no sort of personal information sent back and forth via the beacon. The way it works is we read the beacon to figure out where you are, and then the Pinpoint app actually communicates with the Fusion server to pull the information about, about the room and send the information about you to the Fusion server. And then Fusion and the control system will communicate to actually bring that linkage in. Do I have to have Fusion installed as hardware or can be Fusion in the cloud? It can be Fusion in the cloud. And does that have to be on the same network or can I be using, you know, the, 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 the public switch network, you know, or my, my iPhone data or, or does it have to be on the same network in the building? It can be any network, right? So, so typically we see people, they either, you know, put Fusion in the, um, uh, in the DMZ or they'll use Fusion in the cloud so that, no matter whether your phone's on the, on Wi-Fi or whether it's on the cellular network, you can get access to Fusion. And then, of course, the control system will also have access to Fusion. So Fusion's really this hub of communication between all the different rooms and all the different pinpoint app, you know, user applications. Okay. And does the pinpoint have to be programmed, or it's just something I set up myself as a user? 
So Pinpoint itself is just set up as a user. Of course, if you have uh, hooks into the control system that need to be controlled, so you know I want to be able to control the lights, I want to be able to launch a call. If you have a custom program system, those hooks have to be programmed in and exposed to Fusion. Um, but the Pinpoint app itself is not programmed at all. It works. It works the same way for everyone. Okay. So, has in, is anybody using this today in one of the very high security organizations? You know, like financial services or or um, or legal, or, or are there still issues around getting that data in and out of the DMZ and uh, through the firewall? You know, actually, I don't know I, off the top of my head. We have we have several trial deployments going. I don't know if there's a full-fledged deployment beyond the proof of concept at this point. And to be fair, that's, I mean, Pinpoint's only been released for about uh, two to three months at this point. So we're sort of in that normal evaluation cycle still. Um, so, you know, I, I don't have a good answer for you. I know, I know that in general, we have not seen an issue with Fusion in the cloud. Uh, you know, some people prefer on-prem and they're willing to, go, you know, we're certainly willing to go that way and do it. But I have been... Uh, cautiously optimistic about the acceptance rate of, of cloud services, even in even in some of those organizations. So, so to step back from what you're saying just for a second, um, we've now described the role of putting together an AV system and an AV control system as being somebody who needs to understand either how to launch a Fusion server um, and get the programming perfect, um, or at least standardized, or if not launch it, um, apply the service out of a cloud service, and they have to understand cloud and connections and, and how that relates to everything else. Uh, they need to understand how smartphone apps work, need to understand how to put systems together so that IP communication will take place internally or externally. It doesn't sound like you're describing a standard hang and bang AV integrator anymore, does it? <laughs> I think that's the, the new world of things, right? I think there's, you know, most people uh, certainly have people on staff that are at that level, um, you know, whether their whole organization is at that level, you know, I think varies from place to place. But but no, we've come a long way from saying, hey, I'm going to throw a, a box here and a box there. I'm going to use a tweaker to, to tweak it up and it'll sound real good. Now it's much more, like you said, about the network side of things. Okay, I, I like to make a joke when I'm speaking out in public that there are two types of people that work in AV, those that work in IT and those that don't realize they work in IT. Um, but the more time that passes and the more we look at the Internet of Things, um, the more the reality becomes we're all IT organizations. We need to understand security and the cloud um, and connectivity uh, and, and IoT devices. So I appreciate you taking the time to make it real for, say, any other products or systems that you want to mention or be aware of or, or be on the lookout for or does that pretty much cover what's out today and you'll keep the secrets to yourself? <laughs> we have a bunch more stuff coming that will be that will be really good. Um, I don't want to I don't want to hint too much at, at new things, but I will say certain things like the AV framework uh, application that we released recently are key key ways that the key directions that Crestron is going. Where we're taking uh, we're not taking away your ability to do custom programming. What we're doing is we're building a foundation uh, that doesn't require custom programming, right? So the reason that's important for the IoT world is that you can take a lot of our products now out of the box. Like for instance, our DMPS devices, which are switchers, control systems, everything built into one. Take it out of the box, go to a web page and configure it, set up a, you know, a relatively basic AV system, and that will be connected to Fusion as an IoT device, report data up in a standard format and do all of those things. So you know, while on one hand, we're, we're saying a lot of things that I think might scare some people about, about how much they need to know to build an IoT system, the reality is 
we're putting together a lot of the pieces. So, you know, right out of the box, um, integrators can be out there building IoT systems um, without having to go back to, to university to get an education in, in, uh, in all of these different things. Okay, that's great. That's a very positive way. Let's hope everybody makes the transition to digital with us um, and the industry grows. Um, and the ones that can't make it, we're probably better off without. Uh, so, Dan, I appreciate you taking the time uh, to chat with us today. Uh, my name, again, is David Danto. I'm your host for uh, Connected Everything IoT. We'll look forward to speaking with you at our next episode. Take care.